0: Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? How is everyone today? I'm doing pretty good. Things are okay today. Um, just so you know, I have a Patreon. You should come sign up, patreon.com slash Liz Last week's episode was Real Housewives of New Jersey, season three, episode one, The Christening. This week's, I believe, will be Ladies of London, with the following week being uh, Charlie D'Amelio's show, which is, it's dark. (laughs) I honestly, I really recommend, if you're interested in watching um, teens being, like, really distressed about their lives and having, like, crazy stage manager parents, like, I definitely recommend going on Hulu and watching the D'Amelio show. It's uh, it, Charlie is unwell. Like she is unwell. She has terrible anxiety. She's essentially like crippled by her anxiety. She like won't leave her room. It, it's distressing her sister Dixie as well, and the parents are just like we're just having fun. I just I mean the girls are having a great time. <laughs> It's really interesting. The show premise, I thought it'd be Kardashian-like, but it's actually, there's not really a fourth wall. And they talk a lot about like what it's like to get famous, which you guys know I'm pretty into. So yeah, come on over to the Patreon. Hear me talk about random shit that I care about. Anyway, this week, there's not that much news. Although Kale did post the other day. Let me see exactly what she posted. She posted this. I saw it on Friday morning. I think she posted it like late Thursday night. Let me get on my little Instagram account. You can follow me feathers underscore pod if you want to see the latest breaking news. Um, Kale posted, congratulations to Chris and his new family, blue heart. I I wonder if she's using that blue because it's going to be a boy. So exciting for the boys to have a new sibling to love. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Look, like, is that hypocritical as hell yeah of course is it funny yeah <laughs> am I laughing yeah like it's funny um okay first of all there's a couple things I want to address here one I love her saying new family implying that there's like an old family um I don't think that kale and Chris and their two sons made a family really. Ever, right? Like, uh, I I don't think that ever really happened. Um, there are a lot of people that say like Chris and Kale never dated, he would never make it official, blah, 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 blah. I, I really don't subscribe to that. Like, I think it's very clear that Kale and Chris were in a relationship. They can he can say all day that he wasn't with her, but he was like living with her at one point. He talks about how much he loves her often. Um, they've been fucking for like seven years at this point. <laughs> like, you can't. I don't really have a lot of patience or tolerance for people who are like, we're actually not together, but like everything about them, they're together. It, okay, so you didn't put like a label on it, but I'm not sure I would uh, classify what Kale and Chris were doing as like living like a family. Apparently, there's a girl. She is pregnant and doing December. Chris, what Chris thinks he's doing having another baby is beyond me. Why he thinks that that is a good idea. I mean, I guess he didn't really probably didn't have that much of a say in it beyond possibly not using birth control. One would think, though, that like with two children that you don't really take care of, you would not want to have a third and you would be extra careful about it. Into um, the woman that's pregnant with his baby, I wish you an ounce of luck. Like, imagine watching someone be a complete deadbeat dad on television, and then you have a kid with them. That's tough. You know that that's a tough look for you. It's it's hard for me to pull a lot of empathy out there. I don't have kids with somebody who doesn't take care of their other kids. That's like rule number one. Rule number one: If he doesn't take care of his other kids, he's most likely not going to take care of your kid either. He's such a petty bitch. <laughs> oh gosh, oh, I love it. I think that's really all that happened this week. It's not a very uh, eventful Teen Mom news week that I saw. I did see Chelsea posted some new ugly clothes. You know she's like obsessed with that Lori Bell's clothing line. I I hate her style so much. Everything that I've seen her post has been like distressed clothes. I, here's something to know about me like, my most old lady conservative fashion take is that I like hate holes in clothes, including jeans. I've owned like maybe one pair of jeans in my entire life that has holes in the knees, and I don't really like them. Like, I, I don't even remember why I bought them. Like, they're cute enough, I guess, but I don't like holes in things. I don't like them in jeans. I don't like them in shirts. Chelsea, like, walks around with six huge holes in her outfits. I, I don't understand it. I really, I don't understand it. Oh, speaking of, because this just reminded me, I was like, I wonder what's going on with Chelsea's lawsuit. Remember her lawsuit? I think we still don't really have an update on that. That's in, that's in pre-trial motion stuff. I think, um like, Chelsea's side is asking for... Company financial records. They don't want to give them, of course, just typical legal, civil legal shit where each side is like fighting tooth and nail to not have to produce documents, which is very common. But Kale actually responded to Bree's uh, summary, like her motion for dismissal. If you'll remember, Kale is suing Bree for defamation. Um, Bree's attorney filed a motion to dismiss based on anti slap SLAAP. S-L-A-P-P? I think it's S-L-A-A-P. But anti-slap laws, which are basically um, statutes that, like, protect freedom of speech in a way that, like, you're not allowed... Basically make it so that it's hard to, like, sue someone when it comes to protected speech. Uh, I, like I said, I still think that this lawsuit will be dismissed. But Kale's response was... I don't know. It... <laughs> It, it, it really doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, They're really, really honing in on the breaking and entering thing. They're saying that she knew that she didn't, that Kale didn't break and enter into the house. They included like a text message screenshot from Chris to Bree that was like, why are you guys saying that Kale broke in? Like she didn't break in. But once again, this is, that's like after the fact. So I'm not really sure how that text is relevant. And they basically, Kale's motion just, like, goes through and lists, like, all of the things that Chris has done wrong that, like, Bree would know of. And basically are saying, like, even if Chris told her this, he's not a reliable source and she should have known he's not a reliable source. So she is, like, repeating it is, she knew she was repeating a lie because Chris wasn't a reliable source. I think that this is a real last-ditch effort. Um, Also, apparently, Kale... I well not apparently she did in this motion she claims that the reason that she didn't film because remember all of this happened because kale didn't film that one week brie got online and said it's because she didn't want the drama with chris coming out and that's where this all stem from kale says the reason that she didn't film is because she was in a new relationship and she didn't want that being filmed which maybe i i don't i don't know i don't believe anything kale says There's an affidavit from her and the nanny. Um, The nanny was with her when she went and beat Chris for cutting Lux's hair. (laughs) It's not funny, but it's just so wild. Um, I did notice there was not a deposition or an affidavit, which basically is just like a sworn statement. There was not an affidavit from Chris in there saying that it never happened. So we'll see. I think it will be dismissed. I think we'll hear not that far in the future. And it should be dismissed because it's bullshit. But I think that's it for the news this week. Let's talk about Team Mom Young and Pregnant first. So I did read, remember last week I was saying like, oh, I think there's a new girl, a Kayla J, but like she's not in this episode. I don't know what's going on. I did read that apparently like halfway through this season, they switch out Madison with this Kayla J. I don't know why. Um, I will say I don't think Madison is that she's not that dynamic on screen. The season young and pregnant isn't quite giving it to me yet. I'm really going to need uh, Rachel and the Beavers to step it up. They've been quite quiet these first two episodes. I'm going to need Bree to start having some more explosive outbursts, as she loves to do. Kayla's doing good. is bringing it. I don't like Kyle. I don't like her. I don't care about her storyline. I I just don't want her on this show. But let's start with Kaya since she's my least favorite. <laughs> uh, I did notice Amor is quite big and very cute. I don't feel like I we see Amor that much compared to a lot of the babies. I'm not really sure why. So when I saw Tiesa like walking with Amor, holding Amor's hand, I was like, Oh my god, he's so cute. Like he looks big. And I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? If Isaiah's is three, well, I guess Kaya came Amor is probably turning two around the time of this episode. So basically, this whole episode is about um Xavion, her Amor's father. If you'll remember Xavion's mother, Carla, and Kaya have gotten into it when she announced she was pregnant. Carla was like, here's the money for an abortion. And when Kaya said no. Uh, Carla tried to fight her. I mean, I think she was four months pregnant. <laughs> then again, they tried to fight on the television. So Kaya just like isn't that interested in having a relationship with him. But everybody are, or her, excuse me, but everybody around her is like, oh, well, more needs to have a relationship with that side of the family. And since Xavion isn't getting out for at least another year, they say that he doesn't really have a date. He's going to eventually be eligible for parole which is why he doesn't have a date but he's gonna have to do two and a half years of his sentence and I would assume that he's probably coming up on like a year and a half if because I think he went to prison shortly before um, Amor was born so I think he's like not going to be in there for that much longer here's the thing I think that if Carla really wants to see the baby then Kaya's mom should take the baby to go see Carla like I just don't think Kaya needs to be involved um and that's kind of it you know they agree that they're gonna let Carla see the baby I just there's nothing endearing about Kaya's segments I think is the issue like I feel bad for Tiaza because I think that Tiaza is a nice person from what we can tell I think Tiaza has, like, a lot of trauma. She seems very damaged in some ways. Like, she's, I don't know, like, something about her just, well, didn't we know, doesn't she, like, not really have parents or something? Like, she has a lot of trauma in her life, I remember. So, Tiaza is, like, she just makes me feel sad when a Kaya's screaming at her or degrading her. So, that makes me feel sad. Kaya really just, like, doesn't have a personality that is magnetic there's just nothing going on in their lives either. Like it's the same old, same old. It's so repetitive. But the people that are part of the repetitive story are not interesting, which is the problem. Because sometimes on Teen Mom, like we can deal with repetitive stories as long as the characters in it are interesting to watch. And it just, Kaya's not like that. So that's, that's it for Kaya this week. Kind of a Slow week for her. Let's talk about Madison. Okay. Did you guys notice at the beginning of the episode, little baby Camille is wearing like a two piece pink satin pajama set, like similar to one that I would have from Limited 2 as a child? And it says like Camille on the back of it. It was so fucking cute. <laughs> She looked like a little pink lady from Greece. Oh, that Camille is cute. I love the name Camille. But basically, Madison, it's her and Christian are still fighting. She says she's totally done with him. And she wants to focus on moving out and going to college and getting out of her town and Hearing Madison talk like this, I just find to be extremely depressing. She even brings up, she goes to meet with a friend and she says, you know, when I first found out I was pregnant, I considered getting an abortion. Her friend goes, (gasps) like, her friend was shocked at her saying this. And it's like, (sighs) Madison's kind of the perfect example of somebody who, this sounds fucked up. I hear myself saying this and it's fucked up. But who's, like, throwing away a lot of her life to have a child. Now, I want to clarify that, like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. She could still have a really incredible life, but it's not going to be the life that she wanted or the life that she really should have gotten. It's going to be a life of working low-wage jobs, living with her dad and struggling because she chose to have this baby at 17 years old, her however old she is, and she doesn't I like I don't even know if she graduated from high school. I don't know what the deal is. She says she works at a pizza place, but she doesn't even get steady hours. It just sucks. Like, she should be – she seems like a smart, motivated person, and it's really hard to watch a smart, motivated person just be so stuck in their lives. You know, like, she should be studying and going to college and, like, moving away from college, and it just sucks that she – chose not to do that and I get it like not everybody feels comfortable getting abortions she said she couldn't do it I understand but it's depressing to watch her like there are certain people that I'm like whatever you had that like Kayla yeah I like (laughs) I think having Isaiah was like kind of Kayla's path right like I don't when I look at Kayla's life I'm not like oh this is so sad she could have had such a different and better life if she just didn't have that baby but like That's not what I see from her. So it's not so depressing to watch. But Madison, to me, is just really like, oh, she could have had a better life. By the way, she's not living in that tiny house. Remember on the sixteen, pregnant, her dad built her a tiny house that was on the premise of like on the property they were living on that his like best friend's parents owned. She's definitely in like one of the main houses. So I wonder what's going on with that. Was there like, because there was plumbing and stuff in there. I swear there was like a kitchen and a bathroom. So I wonder why she's not living in that anymore. But she's definitely not like none of the scenes take place in that tiny house. So I wonder what's going on with that. Christian saw stuff at her house and she's like, well, he won't come get it. A friend comes over and she's like, just throw his shit away, <laughs> which I definitely agreed with. OK, let's take a quick break. We'll get to the rest of our TMYP girlies. I guess I don't need to start with Teen Mom, Young, and Pregnant. I remember the reason that, like, recapping this show isn't that great. I really do enjoy watching it. Like, watching Teen Mom OG versus watching Teen, teen Mom, Young, and Pregnant. Like, I think Teen Mom, Young, and Pregnant is a significantly better show. But it's the same issue that I have with Sixteen and Pregnant is that I just, like, don't know this cast well enough to give extensive recaps. Like, I, you know, I've known Amber for 11 years at this point I know Amber very well I don't know anything about Madison except that she's a crazy anti-vaxxer and has a dad that's quite supportive like I just don't know any of these girls enough to like really get in them I'd say I have like a Kayla's probably the closest one there for me Bree, I guess like Rachel's fun like Rachel I like to watch Rachel Rachel like every time the beavers are electric but they're not really like, there's not a lot to say about them. Um, I'm still surprised that Kayla isn't on Teen Mom 2 yet. Like she's definitely waiting for somebody to quit one of the shows so that she can get pulled up to the big leagues. Um, Let's talk about Brie. Okay, so Brie, it's kind of the same old, same old in that she is ready to move out of her mom's house. She's like depressed living there. She wants to go move in with her best friend. Um, I, there was an interesting scene where Jessica, the mom, was kind of talking shit on Bree to Vanessa, the other daughter. And Vanessa was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, she wasn't not – she wasn't disagreeing with Jessica, but she definitely wasn't, like, enthusiastically talking about it. And then when Vanessa and Brie talk later, it's like, oh, yeah, Vanessa's definitely team Bree." Apparently, Jessica calls herself Brayson's second parent, which is a lot. <laughs> And I understand why Brie is upset about that. Brie says she just, like, doesn't get the credit that she deserves for being a single mom. And I totally understand that. Um, Jessica, <sighs> people fucking hate Jessica. I don't hate Jessica. I think Jessica seems quite immature in a lot of ways. I just don't really get Jessica. Like, she talks so much shit on Bree. I mean, but she's also right about a lot of the stuff she says about Brie. She says Bree's very codependent, which is true, right? Like, we see the minute that Brie gets a significant other, she moves them right into her house. Like, I she always is dating someone. She's always in, like, a close little tight-knit one-on-one relationship. And I think instead of having a boyfriend, she's doing that with, like, this friend of hers. Um, but Jessica, like, needs to step back and realize that, like, Brie... I think Brie's 21 at this point. Like, yes, Jessica does not think Brie is mature, but I also kind of think it's, like, it's not fair for her to walk around being, like, is immature. I do everything for Bree. She doesn't know what to do. Because even if it's true, it's, like, who does that help? Like, who benefits from you talking like this? Because it doesn't seem like anybody benefits from her talking like that. And it just makes everybody's life harder. I think Jessica's, like, kind of miserable in a lot of ways. And, just isn't sure how to deal with Brie moving out I think Jessica's like really worried one I'm like not sure Jessica can afford to live on her own I think I don't want to say she relies on Bree for rent because I don't think that's the case like I think that Jessica and Bree like equally share rent but living in a one-bedroom apartment is like and living by yourself, obviously, is more expensive than having a roommate. Like, it's fucking expensive to live by herself. And I'm not sure that Jessica can afford to live by herself. So she'll have to get a roommate and it'll have to be a big thing. And I think it's shitty that she seems to kind of be, like, stunting Brie to her benefit. I think also, like, she just loves living with Bryson. She loves her grandson, I think Jessica's really passive aggressive because she doesn't yell a lot. She does seem pretty mild-mannered, but she gets under Bree's skin like crazy. Ugh. I feel like I feel for Bree, I do. Cuz I think that she really just like wants to prove that she's independent, but I think doesn't know how to do that and I also think like She's in a harder financial position than a lot of the girls on this show. Well, I guess that's not true for Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant. Like, I guess none of them really have money, which is interesting, you know, the poverty porn of it all. But Bree seems to like not really be able to get her head above water, especially compared to like Kayla, who she's been on the show the same amount of time as Kayla or Ashley or Jade, like any of the girls that are on the original Teen Mom Young and Pregnant cast. So I definitely feel for Brie that like I think Brie still is financially struggling in a way that makes it so she's like really dependent on her mom. And I think that she like it's probably really frustrating for her to hear her mom be like, well, you're not a grown up like you need more experiences to be a grown up. And she's like, "Okay, so I want to get more experiences. And her mom's like, well, no, you're not mature enough to get experiences. (laughs) That would drive me up a wall. All right, let's go to the Beavers, who Rachel decides that she and Mallory are going to move into a trailer together. Mallory comes over. This is the first time we're seeing her. By the way, I saw somebody, I know I said last week that Rachel was having her Harley Quinn moment, and I still think that. I saw somebody online mention that she looks like Harley Quinn Smith, aka daughter of Kevin Smith, who played Mallory, actually, in, um... Cruel Summer on Hulu, which I, well, I guess I was on ABC Family or whatever that fucking channel is, Freeform. Um, but I watched it on Hulu. <laughs> so where I watched it is actually where it aired, in case you were wondering. But Kevin Smith, you know, director of Clerks and Jane Silent Bob and all of that shit. Um, He has a daughter that he named Harley Quinn. She's an actress now, and she played Mallory on Cruel Summer, and she looks like Rachel Beaver and kind of sounds like Rachel Beaver. And I was like, yeah, that's actually really true. Were you guys Kevin Smith fans in high school? (laughs) I loved Kevin Smith in high school. I would watch like he had an evening with Kevin Smith, like this DVD. Remember like in a pre-YouTube world when you would buy DVDs of like people that you liked? doing like a talk (laughs) feel like the idea of doing that now seems crazy because I would just like get on YouTube and watch interviews but I mean before YouTube really existed we had to like buy the DVD version (laughs) but I loved Chasing Amy and Jay and Silent Bob and Clerks and Dogma I loved that shit I haven't watched Kevin Smith movie probably 10 plus years I'm sure most of them do not hold up well (laughs) I can only om- I can only imagine how unwell they hold up. I mean, Chasing Amy was problematic from the jump, right? So I can't even imagine what it's like watching it now. But I loved that shit. And now I guess I like Harley Quinn Smith. Imagine even your child, Harley Quinn. Like, come on, Kevin. What are you doing? Okay, so Rachel and Mallory are like, we're going to move in together. Um, I guess Mallory and Stephanie are working together. I'm not really sure what they do. Mallory's still living with her grandma. Do you guys remember that, like, last year at some point, Mallory got arrested for, like, domestic violence against the grandma? I'm worried about that. And I think Emerson lives with Stephanie. I think. Because I don't think Emerson and Mallory live together. But they're talking about moving into this place and like it's assumed Emerson will go with them. So I don't really know like what the deal is with Emerson and custody of Emerson and who mainly watches Emerson because later they say like Emerson and Hazley are basically like sisters because they're very close in age and they spend all their time together. And like so I'm assuming that Emerson lives with Stephanie, Rachel and Hazley. And I wonder where Rachel's little brother is. We haven't seen him at all this season. I wonder if maybe he doesn't film because he gets shit online or something. I follow him on Instagram and he seems to do Twitch. So I feel like being on TV would be good for him because it would give him more exposure to followers. But he doesn't seem to be on Team Mom at all anymore. But Rachel is making money via babysitting and obviously the television show. Team Mom Young and Pregnant's fourth wall is not broken so we don't hear them talk about money for being on the show, which sucks. Break the fourth wall always. its It doesn't feel so noticeable in the moment for the most part, but then they say stuff like, well, I have to find a job. We're on Teen Mom, like they're regular Teen Moms now. They don't really even, pre- you know, they don't pretend they need jobs anymore. They're like, this is my job straight up. So I would like to see that at least change on Teen Mom Young and Pregnant. But Towards the end, Stephanie and Rachel are talking about the fact that Mallory and Rachel are going to move in together. And Stephanie is like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. She's like, first of all, who's going to watch Emerson? It's going to be you. Because, you know, Mallory's not going to be watching her. So if you live with Emerson, like, get ready to raise Emerson. And Rachel's like, that's not true. But yeah, I think that is right. Stephanie then makes the point, you know, this is going to be really bad because... Mallory's going to pop off about something and you're going to punch her in the face. (laughs) And then you'll both be on this leash trying to kick the other one out. And Rachel's like, well, if we get this place, like I want it to be my place and my name. So if Mallory has to leave, she has to leave. And Stephanie's like, okay, but like, I'm sure Mallory wants that as well. And Rachel starts to get really mad. Like she does anytime Stephanie kind of tries to correct her and of course, like they start to get into a fight. And then Rachel starts going off about the fact she's like, in this state, I have benefits. I'm a single mother. I have benefits. I can get food stamps. I can move out today for $50 because in this state, I have benefits. She says in this state over and over again, it's very bizarre. Stephanie's like, okay, so why don't you do that? (laughs) Which I agree with, with Stephanie. It's like, so, yeah, OK, so do it. You can move out for $50. Do it. Then why aren't you doing it? You can get food stamps. So why don't you get them? Why don't you get them? Because Stephanie knows that Rachel's lazy and won't actually do it. Um, the episode ends with Mallory coming back over. Mallory has bleach blonde hair right now. And then just like the front two strands of her hair are bright purple, which is a look. It's definitely a look. By the way, the trailer they're going to move into is a two bedroom and it would be five seventy five a month. So pretty cheap splitting rent would be really cheap. But they kind of realize that a two bedroom is not going to work for them because either the two of them will have to share a room. Rachel laughs. She's like, we can get single beds and it will be like a dorm room. And they have a little laugh over that or they they're going to have to share with the kids. And so Rachel's like, I really I just don't think this is a good idea. Like I I need space. I need privacy. And Mallory's like, well, yeah, that's true. Like I actually can't afford to move out anyway. So they, they're talking like Rachel's going to be getting this place on her own. I don't know. I guess we will see. I feel like if you can't afford 575 a month and you're on TV, then like MTV is really fucking evil. Like if you have girls that are on TV like exposing their souls and they can't afford to pay $575 a month in rent, like you are a monster. You are a monster for that. Um, Then they have a little talk. So Rachel, of course, brings up the fact that Stephanie told her that she would have to race uh, Emerson. And they are like, Mallory goes, You know, I don't really understand why mom thinks she's room to talk. Like, she dropped me on my head when I was two years old. And then she says, You know, I was feeding you cake at 5 a.m. And Rachel's like, Yeah, we read our uh, DCS files. Like, she didn't have us for nine years. And yeah, it makes sense, right? Like, Stephanie was a shit mom, and now as grandma, she's like constantly picking at them and giving them advice. But the thing is, is that Stephanie's not wrong about most of it. So there is that. (laughs) All right, let's finish this Teen Mom Young and Pregnant portion with Kayla. So Kayla starts out the episode going to talk to a friend. She's telling her about Isaiah's birthday. Her friend is like, wait, who's Ray? (laughs) Like, Who came where? And Kayla's like, yeah, exactly. So we get a scene of Ray and Stefan talking and Ray passes on the message that, you know, Luke said that being Isaiah's father is his role. And if Stefan has a problem with that, he can talk about it. Uh, Stefan says, well, actually, first Ray starts saying like, you know, this is bullshit. Like if a man is trying, you have to let him try, to which I say, no, you absolutely don't do better than trying. Your kid is three years old, even though you think he's four. Your mother thinks he's four, but your kid is three. You have had three fucking years to try. You don't get to just show up at year three and be like, yo, I'm trying. Like, nah, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. So Stefan is like, you know, I the dad position is fully taken. Like Luke, he can have the boyfriend position. He can have the husband position. I don't want that. But the dad position, it's filled. And it's like, yeah, by, by Luke. <laughs> the dad position is filled by a man named Luke who raises your son. Stefan is... I mean, it's no coincidence that they have not seen or heard from him in a year. And then he pops back up when MTV comes back around. That's another thing that I would like them to break the fourth wall about. I think that's clearly what's going on. And Kayla would like Kayla's storyline would benefit from her being able to be like, yeah, you guys are filming him and he's getting paid per episode. So he's coming around again. Oh, he's such a piece of shit. Um, we got to see of Stefan facetiming with his mom, Annette, if you'll remember Annette is a real piece of shit she's been awful to Kayla in the past she's awful to Stefan she just sucks she really sucks remember her like talking shit on Kayla with Stefan's now ex-girlfriend it was so gross so they're talking about Kayla and how Kayla doesn't answer the phone and she ignores them and I guess Annette sent clothing over to Isaiah and Kayla never called her said thank you which I do think is rude um, I think if somebody, like, you send the text, you know what I mean? Like, if if you really cannot stand this person to say thank you, then you send the gift back, basically. You don't just, like, accept the gift and then never send a thank you. That's just bad manners. Thank you messages, I mean, now they exist via text message, right? Like, handwritten thank you notes aren't that much of a thing anymore. But you, you have to acknowledge if somebody sent you a gift, even if you don't like them. So... Annette and Stefan are talking and Stefan is like, well, I want to be the dad. And Annette is like, OK, so what are you going to do about it? And I was like, thank you. What is he going to do about it? He's like, well, um, because Stefan's not going to do shit about it. He doesn't want to do shit about it. He doesn't want to go to court. He probably doesn't have the money to go to court. He's just not he's not ever going to do it ever. Annette decides she's going to take matters into her own hands and she's going to call Kayla and ask to meet up. Kayla is like really taken off guard by this and agrees to do it. But then later after the fact is talking to Luke and she's like, honestly, like, I don't know why I said yes. Like, I don't want to meet with her because I don't care what she has to say. Like, I she is a terrible mother and she's going to be a terrible grandmother and I don't want her around my son. Yeah, but she's on a TV show, so she has to go meet up with Annette. I do remember seeing like a, the scene where they meet up in like a preview and they get into a big fight. So that will be next week. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Also, there is a scene where Kayla's sitting at lunch with her friend and like a hair track from her hair extension is just fully visible. And like, Kayla, girl, your hair is down and straight. (laughs) Like There's no reason we should be able to see a track for you. (laughs) Oh, she's so messy. Okay, that's it for Young and Pregnant. Let's see what's happening in OG world. Okay, it has now been three hours since I recorded the Teen Mom Young and Pregnant part. I got really tired and decided to take a nap. I didn't sleep well last night. Do you ever get so tired and then you, like, take one too many melatonin and then your, like, body gets really restless? That happens to me, like, every once in a while. And it happened last night and I just slept like shit. I had to pull out my weighted blanket, which I don't love a weighted blanket. Honestly, it's too heavy it's too heavy if you will I really like to sleep with a blanket essentially over my head but also my legs kicked out from underneath it so a weighted blanket just like doesn't I just don't fuck with it it just doesn't work for me like that Um, but when I'm feeling really like my restless legs are really bad I pull out the weighted blanket and I can usually sleep here's the thing when restless legs is like the worst part of Opioid withdrawal, like the worst. And I mean, it's honestly like your restless whole body. Like, I, when I was detoxing, I wanted to cut off my arms. Like, the only time I felt okay was like sitting in a scorching hot bath or shower. It was truly the worst experience. So, anytime I get restless legs, I start to like freak out a little bit and then I just feel like shit. So, I was exhausted. I decided to take a little nap, feel a lot better. Now we're going to chat about OG, which I have, I mean, I'm like, I've liked this season. We're literally two episodes in, (laughs) but I have, I feel like almost everybody has something going on, you know, like I, I guess Mackenzie McKee is kind of the one that is lacking a little bit right now. By the way, I don't know if you guys ever look at Mackenzie McKee's TikToks, but she's possibly the most obnoxious person that lives on this planet Earth. Like her energy. Uh, it's distressing to me. I don't know how else to describe it. I I don't follow her TikTok. But on the Feathers Instagram account. Occasionally she'll post TikToks to the reels on Instagram. You know. And so they come up on my feed. And I'll like look at one every once in a while. And uh, sh- she's unbearable. <laughs> like Mackenzie McKee is the type of person I hate the most in this world, which is somebody that is like so unhappy with themselves and so depressed and yet at all times feels the need to project manic energy about how happy they are. (laughs) I find it so uncomfortable for some reason. I can't deal with that in real life. I mean, Luckily, I feel like I don't come into contact with that very much in real life anymore. I think part of it is my age. I'm in my mid-30s now, right? Yeah. But I would say I'm 33. So I'm like in my mid-30s or in my mid-30s, not sure, but close enough. I'm in my mid-30s. And so like I don't feel like I know that many people that act like that anymore. It's like a very teenager, early 20s type of behavior. But like I'm thinking about, I, I genuinely can't remember the last time that I met somebody that was like that. But if I do meet somebody that's like that, I have... I have to steer clear from them. Their vibes are bad. It's just, it's bad vibes. It freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> so we'll talk about Mackenzie McKee since we're already here. She's still in Oklahoma and it's her mom's birthday. I Is this the second birthday without Angie? I genuinely can't remember when Angie passed. It was before COVID. This was probably, this is probably the second birthday of Angie's, right? Because I think she died two years ago now. I don't don't know. Time truly is meaningless. I saw a TikTok that was like making fun of millennials saying that time is meaningless. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you'll see too one day, Gen Z. (laughs) Time is truly meaningless to me. But I think this is Angie's second birthday. Um, Brad is crippling depressed. It's really sad. It's hard to hear him talk about Angie. You know, he just makes me feel really sad. Brad and Josh go fishing. And Brad opens up to Josh about what he's going through. And he's like, you know, the kids and people think that I need therapy. Brad keeps saying this line where he doesn't think that he's depressed. He doesn't feel depressed. And then we'll follow it up with like, but I cry four times a day. And I wish somebody would be like, hey, Brad, what do you think depression feels like? <laughs> like that that's my question for him like he just keeps reiterating like well I don't feel depressed but like everything he says he's like I don't take care of myself I'm not eating well I can't get out of bed I cry all day every day like I feel like my life is completely worthless and not worth living without your mother like what I wonder what he thinks depression is and I mean it makes sense right like From based on what we know about Mackenzie, depression is quite stigmatized in their family. And so it's not surprising to me that Brad doesn't like quite get what depression is, but I would like somebody to follow it up and just ask him. I wonder if it's like, you know how people have this idea that like you can't be an alcoholic unless you're like, you drink from like the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed go to bed you are like a fall down blackout drunk at all times but actually alcoholism can look a lot different i wonder if brad thinks that depression is like mckenzie i want i would imagine mckenzie maybe is his only real framework of somebody that like has been diagnosed with depression i would imagine there probably aren't that many people in his life that he knows have been diagnosed with depression i'm sure there are people, but they may not be open about it. And Mackenzie was suicidal a lot of the time. So I wonder if he's like, well, I don't want to kill myself. So that's why he feels that way. Josh's advice is Brad is like, tr- Brad's essentially begging Josh to say like, will you tell me to go to therapy? Because he's like, well, you know, they say I should go to therapy. And Josh is just like, well, you know, I'm thinking about you a lot. And I'm always here for you. <laughs> like, Josh... Wrong answer, Josh. (laughs) You're supposed to say to Brad, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, you seem depressed. (laughs) God, Josh is just not, he's not, he's not all there. He, he, Josh is depressed, probably. I wonder if Josh still does pills. Remember that in Team Mom 3 at the reunion when they're like, oh, well, I mean, like, Josh isn't really an asshole. He is like a pill addiction. (laughs) remember when that happened and then like the show just went off the air for years so we like never thought about it again what's going on with that is he still a pill addict questions I have questions it's really it for Mackenzie um I'm guessing like a lot of her season is going to revolve around her dad which is fine I mean on one hand I think it's good because that means her dad's getting a paycheck from MTV I'm not sure if her dad is working um uh, like, I, I don't know if he was able to keep his job throughout Angie's illness. Remember, it's like a pretty... She lasted longer than they said she would. I don't like the way that sounds. But she lived significantly longer than they said she would. I think she only was given like six to months to a year then lived for like two to three years of the cancer. But I think that like in the last year of her life, he was caring for her 24-7 and then through the depression of Angie passing, like, I'm not sure if he's working a full-time job. So I would imagine getting paid per episode from MTV is a nice help for him. I mean, Mackenzie's family is very, like, middle to lower middle class is my understanding. You know, when Angie died, she did that GoFundMe to pay off the house because they didn't, Angie's like dying wish was that Brad wouldn't have a mortgage, which makes a ton of sense. I don't think there was, I think there was like a hundred thousand left on the house, maybe even less. Like it wasn't, I mean, it's a huge amount of money, like a hundred thousand dollars is a huge amount of money, but it wasn't like, obviously they had lived in this house for quite a while. They had been paying the mortgage for quite a while. I would imagine they maybe got a second mortgage or refinance when Angie got sick. Um, I think like, if you'll remember in Mackenzie's 16 and pregnant her and her dad would like go and collect cans for money like I think that they have always been relatively lower middle to middle class and like if Brad is not steady working I would imagine that's a pretty significant drop in his income and so I guess like MTV being there is good and that's really helpful for him but as far as like entertaining on this show. Mackenzie's really only entertaining when her and Josh are going at it. You know, like, I just want to see Josh, like, tell her he hates her. Again. <laughs> oh, God. Josh is an enigma. He's a real enigma to me. Uh, like, online, I will say, in the, the TikToks that I watch, he does seem more into Mackenzie in those, but I just don't buy this like you guys actually don't understand. Josh is like the most incredible husband thing that Mackenzie does. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it one bit. Okay, let's talk about Cheyenne who is having quite a season. Cheyenne is not coming off well. She is coming off like a mega bitch. Like I, I don't know what's going on with her. She is. What it is, is like, it's not just that she is screaming at people. Remember last season, she just like flipped on her sister and her mom. Then of course, in the previous episode on Zach, which as you all know, I said, I didn't think it was nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it still wasn't great. And Zach and Cheyenne, like they start this episode by talking about their fight. Very clearly, they made off. They made off. They made up off camera. Like they are so calm, cool and collected in this. They're laughing throughout it. But Zach does say, like, you cannot speak to me that way again. And Cheyenne goes, well, you know, like, I'm pregnant, so I'm allowed to do anything I want. And he's like, no, you're not. I think he says, Zach says, you know, being pregnant is not an excuse to lash out like that. And Cheyenne's like, oh, yes, it is. And it's like, I the fact that Cheyenne doesn't realize to be um, like nice after the fact on camera is a real red flag to me because I feel like a normal person in this situation would realize like and be embarrassed about how awful they must have looked even if they like genuinely don't feel like it was their fault a normal person would still be like oh fuck like that is going to look bad on camera and what they would do is be like I don't even know why I acted that way I just kind of blew up I'm sorry. I feel awful. Like my pregnancy hormones are out of control, but you're right. It's not an excuse. Like even if she doesn't feel that way and like truly believe it, one would think that like you would have enough self-awareness to say that on camera. Cheyenne is, uh, she just comes off so poorly this season. Like she looks like a brat and nobody holds, like her parent, her mom and her stepdad are, seem to not like push back on her at all. At least in this episode, her dad comes over and calls her out on it. Um, But I don't think she's as close with her dad. I think her mom and her stepdad are the ones that are really like the main parental figures in her life. And it, I mean, her and Zach are not going to last that long if this is the way that they talk to one another. And the fact that she couldn't even like muster up some fake, like, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Just like some fake humbleness, I guess some fake, Uh, like sadness for the way, some fake regret for the way that she acted on camera. It worries me. So, starts out with them making up, and then we move on to Cheyenne flipping out at Corey. Now, Corey has a bunch of stuff coming up, so he has to go to New York to film the reunion for the current season of the challenge that he was on. Then he's going to stay in New York for a couple days because it's his thirtieth birthday. Then he comes back and he and Taylor are going to go on a week-long trip for his birthday. Then when he gets back from that, a few days later, he's going to be going back to the challenge, like for a new season of the challenge. And Cheyenne flips out. And look, I get it She because she's seven months pregnant, like... This is the worst time for Corey to be going away. And I understand when he's like, this is my job. Like, you knew it was. And she's like, okay, but, like, you have two full weeks there of birthday trips. (laughs) That would really bother me, too. But also, it's like, well, that's what it is. Like, that's not your boyfriend. That's not your husband. Like, you don't get to dictate, like, when Corey's around or not. Um, They're talking about the fact that he may miss Ryder's birthday party and... (laughs) Cheyenne is like, you are a piece of shit for missing her party. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like it just the level it escalates to is so outrageous. And it's not just like, yo, what do you like? I need your help. Like I am super pregnant. I am running after Ryder. I'm exhausted. Like I need her father to be around here taking care of her. Like, that we are 50-50 co-parents. Like, I need you to be a 50-50 parent. I understand that you're going to film the challenge. Like, I get that. And that is obviously non-debatable. But, like, why don't you wait to take a trip until after you do that? Like, I get why she's annoyed. But it's so inappropriate the way that she yells at him. By the way, Corey's wearing a a shirt that has Will Smith's face on it for some reason. (laughs) I don't love Corey's hair this season. He's wearing it in braids, but like one is hanging in front of his face at all times. It's not my favorite look of his. Uh, Cheyenne is just so she's so outrageously cruel to people around her this season. It's not just that she's like being mad or annoying or bratty. She's being mean to people and like telling Corey, who has, as far as we know, always been a good father who cares about his child. Telling him that he's a piece of shit for possibly missing a birthday party is... I mean, he's not. Like, he's not a piece of shit, Cheyenne. He's not. And that's not the way that you express to somebody that you need their help. (laughs) That makes people not want to help you. She's like, I need you to leave right now. Leave my house, please. You can tell Corey is just, like, so confused. Like, he doesn't understand, like, why... They got to that place, which, as an audience member, I don't understand it either. It escalates so quickly for really no fucking reason. So, later that night, or sometimes after, uh, her dad and her stepmom come over for dinner. It's Cheyenne, Zach, her sister, the stepdad, or the the dad and the stepmom having dinner, and you know, Cheyenne is like, well. I politely explained to Corey what was going on, but she like kind of laughed. She admits that she was a bitch. Zach totally defends Corey. He's like, "Look, I get it. Like, he wants to go and party. It's his birthday. He's he does a lot for Ryder. Like, it's okay that he wants to go party." Um, her dad does have a funny joke about maybe Corey having a third child if he keeps partying the way he does, which I'm sure Taylor didn't love. But Cheyenne's dad is like, "Okay, so." you can cuss somebody out without cussing them out is what he says. And he's exactly right. Like if you're mad at Corey, that doesn't mean that you're allowed to be like, you're a piece of shit. Fuck you. What you say is like, Corey, I'm really upset. Like Ryder's birthday party should be a priority for you. And I like, I don't want to talk about this right now because I'm really upset with you. Like her dad makes it really clear that what she did was wrong. And if Felt like the first person in her life besides Zach to actually say something. And the reason that her and Zach are probably not going to last is because Cheyenne cannot tolerate Zach pushing back against her. Like anytime Zach says anything to her, she's like, Nope, 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 can't handle it. And then her parents stick up for her. So at least like one person in her life, two people in her life, Zach and her dad, push back against her. But I just I don't think that she's going to stand that. And I can't imagine You know, she's stressed right now with pregnancy hormones, but I can't imagine what she's going to be like with a new little baby and sleep deprived. Cheyenne does realize that, like, she's in the wrong and that she needs to apologize to Corey. So she does. She has Corey come back over and basically promises that she's going to move the party until earlier in the month so that he'll definitely be able to be there, which is the solution, right? Like, that could have been the solution from the beginning. Cheyenne's, she's just not doing herself any favors, honestly. Not at all. Okay, let's talk about Macy. So I, as you guys know, I've been confused about, like, why the Edwards are filming when they weren't supposed to be on this season. Um, I did, somebody did post an article on Reddit to, like, give a timeline a little bit where they were fired about a month after the reunion. And in the Ashley article they posted, it said they had filmed for one episode, which would make sense. And I would imagine maybe after... Maybe they'll get one more episode of footage out of them. But I would imagine after like the fourth episode, they probably are not going to be on the show anymore. Because, you know, we get one episode of Jen and Larry last week. Then we get Ryan and Mackenzie this week. And like maybe they have a little more footage for the third episode. But I guess that's going to be it for the Edwards, which is stupid because I just like the Edwards look so bad this season that one would think that Macy would want them to be on the show. So Macy, the episode starts with Macy picking up Bentley from therapy. He's been going for eight months um, and he doesn't tell any of his friends that he's going, but he does say that he likes to go and, you know, they bring, he like, Bentley kind of randomly says Dr. Ed brought up that Ryan hasn't been around in a while. He hasn't heard from him at all. Um, He did call him Ryan specifically, not dad, Ryan. Um, I'm assuming he probably calls Taylor dad. I bet like when he's around the Edwards, he calls Ryan dad. But I would imagine they just call Ryan Ryan most of the time at the book out house. And Macy's like, well, do you want to be around him if your dad's not going to therapy? And Bentley's like, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. (laughs) Poor little Bentley. Poor little Benny. So we get a scene at Ryan's house. Ryan is so out of his skull. The fact that that man has the nerve to say that he's been sober for three years. If he is sober, then whatever, like, medicine he is taking, it's too much. You know, like, if that is him not on opioids, like, something is the matter. He's on a dose of a medicine that is much too high. But he's so high in this scene so high. They're talking about the reunion fight and he's like, well, you know, dad is still upset about it because you know how Ryan talks about his parents. He's always like, well, mom is like this and dad is like this. He never adds like my dad. Like I can't imagine having a conversation with somebody and being like, well, you know, dad's still upset. Not my dad is still upset. Unless I was like specifically talking to my brother. I, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. Honestly, the way that he talks about them. Mackenzie and him are kind of laughing like, Mackenzie's like, well, you know, you can say everything you need to say without getting in someone's face. And Ryan's like, what kind of person wants to beat up a senior citizen? Uh, I mean, the kind of person that like is bucking to your dad being a fucking asshole. First of all, Larry's not that old. You know, Like Larry, he's not 80 years old. Larry's probably what, 55, maybe 60? Like, yeah, he's older, but he's not like a bumbling old man. <laughs> So that part I was like, um, okay, I get, I guess, okay, sure, sure, I guess. Uh, Ryan's like, well, I just, I really don't like them. I don't like them about Taylor and Macy. So Mackenzie's like, well, I want it to be better. And then Ryan suggests that Mackenzie text Macy to see if they want to sit down. Is the restraining order still going on? Is that why I couldn't remember if the restraining order is expired or not at this point, I guess it would make sense if Mackenzie was the one doing the texting. If Ryan still has the restraining order, but like I, if I was Macy, I think I'd be more annoyed by Mackenzie reaching out to me than I would about Ryan reaching out to me. But if it's a legal thing, I guess that makes sense. We see on Mackenzie's phone that she had texted Macy sometime before I'd I didn't see like a, I think there's like a timestamp, but I didn't know what time, where in time we were when this was filmed. A bit mentioning about Hudson's birthday with no response from Macy. I think that's a real Macy move. And that is something that really bothers me. I don't love a person that doesn't respond. <laughs> like, if you don't want to be involved in Mackenzie's life, when she invites you to Hudson's birthday party, the answer is to just say, we will not be attending that. Mackenzie, you and I are not on good terms like it's for the best that we don't do that and I would prefer not to speak with you going forward so something that Macy has always done she ignores Jen's texts all of the time like it just it drives me up a wall people that do that Macy's like a real passive bitch in a lot of ways that would drive me bonkers like just send a text back like no we can't do that I I can understand that Macy just like wants it to go away and doesn't want to deal with it. But it's just rude. I'm sorry. It's rude. It's rude to not answer (laughs) texts from people. So Mackenzie sends a text that's basically like, I want us to sit down. And Ryan's like, go ahead, do it on camera. Because then she can't lie and say that we didn't. Like, well, that's dark. (laughs) Like, none of us are really doubting that you reach out to Macy like that I don't to me that's not the problem here right like the problem is not Mackenzie like every once in a while sending a text to Macy asking if they can talk the problem is everything else that Ryan and Mackenzie do everything else oh gosh um so M- Macy's or Mackenzie's like I don't even think she'll text back so yeah that's what happens Macy is she gets a text and she's like nah fuck this fuck this. And she's talking to Taylor about it. And she's like, I'm not going to respond. I, It doesn't make any sense. I don't want to sit down with them. I, I'm i not interested in this. And I think she's definitely right to not want anything to do with them. I think that that is the best move. I think that Ryan and M- Mackenzie have made it extremely clear how they feel about Macy. Extremely clear. And remember, by this point, like a lot of the episodes from last season have aired where they're like, Mackenzie was awful last season calling Macy a bitch on camera like all of that type of stuff basically saying that Macy is manipulating Bentley. (sighs) Macy I think is probably as manipulative as anybody else right but like manipulative is not a word that I would really use to describe Macy. I don't think that that is like her her main character defect if you will. I don't know what is, but I, she doesn't give me manipulative vibes, especially when it comes to Bentley. Like, yeah, I'm sure that Bentley is influenced by the way that Macy and Taylor talk about Ryan and the Edwards. Like, of course, that is a natural thing that happens, but the same way he'd be influenced by the Edwards, the way that they talk about Macy. I don't think Macy is like purposely setting out to manipulate. Bentley I mean the reality is is that Macy has let the Edwards have a significant role in Bentley's life for his entire life despite the fact that she doesn't legally owe them anything you know like she lets Bentley be over there as much as he wants to be over there and if she was being manipulative like they wouldn't have had 12 years of being very close to Bentley. That's my thing. And I like Bentley has eyes, you know, like Bentley. Not only does Bentley have eyes, but Bentley has a father that lives in his home who shows up every day for him and his siblings and is there all of the time. And is, as far as we know, quite a good father to Bentley. Bentley's quite close with him. So not only does like Bentley know what Ryan is like right like Bentley knows Ryan has been to jail Bentley knows Ryan has gone to rehab Bentley knows that Ryan has barely ever been around his entire life and that like when he goes to his dad's he's actually going to his grandparents like Bentley knows all that and then he also have the context of like what a dad is and what a dad should be and how dad should act and he knows that Ryan doesn't act like that like Bentley's these kids are old enough now you know these kids are not babies like they're old enough To see the truth and to know what's going on. And like, am I saying that Macy is probably always perfectly handled the way that she's talked to Bentley about the Edwards? Of course not. Because she's a fucking human being, right? Like, no parent is perfect. But when the Edwards want us to believe that Macy's like, evilly manipulating Bentley against them, it's like, get fucked. We all know that's what's, that's not what is happening. Like, I would believe Janelle is probably very manipulative with her children, Amber is very manipulative with her children. Um, Maybe Kale. Uh, I mean, you know, Kale. Maybe Kale. Who knows? Um, Those are just, like, off the top of my head. Macy doesn't have to be. That's the thing. Like, Macy doesn't have to be manipulative because Ryan does the job for her, <laughs> unfortunately. So, Macy and Taylor talk about it. Macy's like, I'm just, I'm uninterested in this. She asked Taylor, like, if... Larry asked to like, could he ever be cordial with Larry and uh, Jen again? And Taylor's like, yeah, I, like right now I could be, which I think is, I totally agree with Taylor. Like, I'm, I think I'm a Taylor where it's like, yeah, I could be cordial with anybody. Like, it, I'm not the type of person that's going to like start a fight. I, it, I get where Taylor's coming from, where he's like, it's not that, it's not that I can't be cordial with them. I just don't want to be like. I don't want them in my life anything beyond being civil. He's like, I am ne- i don't want, He would. he's like, I would go talk to Larry right now if he wanted to apologize, but like, do I want to go to dinner at their house? No, I never want that. And I think that's like a pretty healthy and reasonable place to be, all things considered. So I guess we'll see what's up with the Edwards in the next couple of episodes and when they leave and how they're going to explain that on TV because it's weird to think that they, like, are going to have them in a couple episodes. So it's like, so you guys need them to film a couple episodes, but then you don't need them for the rest of the season. Like, truly, what is Macy's storyline going to be about? I'm dreading the Edward's leaving when it comes to Macy. She's so fucking boring. All right, let's talk about Amber, who is... <sighs> Amber's really on one Amber is I guess she even interview or said something somewhere recently that her Christina and Gary are doing fine and I could believe that to be true right like I think that Gary and Christina are very forgiving when it comes to Amber I think that Gary and Christina realize that like it's rarely worth it for them to hold a grudge against amber I think that's what it is when it comes down to it like In some ways, is it enabling behavior? Sure. I think for Gary and Christina, like as of now at least, Amber's behavior is not so bad that they like need her to be totally cut out of their lives. And it's just not worth like the effort it takes to be in a fight with her. I think that's probably why they're always forgiving Amber. But Amber says that they all hung out, including with Leah. So, I mean, I guess. Like that, I don't, it's believable to me, right? Like they're never really going to keep Amber blocked out unless something really crazy. I mean, but something really crazy already has happened the machete. And yet, <laughs> and yet here we are. So Amber wants to have a set schedule with Leah. She, a producer's over and she asks Amber if Amber's doing karate still. And I was like, what? <laughs> What do you mean Amber's doing karate? <laughs> I did I miss when they talked about Amber doing karate? I mean I know Amber used to say that she did Krav Maga back in the day when she was had to explain her weight loss and it was from drugs. Amber is high as fuck in these episodes or she's on something. Like I don't maybe it is her psych meds, but like that girl cannot keep her eyes open. She's out of it. She says she's going to karate. Uh, her producer is wearing a Things That Matter mask. <laughs> And the producer's like, oh, is Leah still doing volleyball? And Amber's like, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked to Leah in a while. But, you know, she has her bonus, Mom. Oh, gosh. She says, you yeah, know, it truly breaks my heart that Leah and I are drifting apart. Now, the language of drifting apart is quite weird to use about your 12-year-old child you drift apart from friends. You don't drift apart from children. Now, as children get older and they become teens and they want space and they want privacy, are you maybe not as close as you were when they were little? Yeah, of course. But drifting apart is a phrase that indicates that like you are no longer in this person's life and that's on you. Like that's on Amber. She talks about Leah, like Leah's an adult basically is what I'm saying. Uh, This is when she lets us know that she's been going to see her therapist for six years. Remember, though, her therapist is a psychiatrist. Psychiatrists are not therapists. Psychiatrists do not get extensive training in therapy. They give you medicine, uh, which is the reason that usually you only go see a psychiatrist for 15 minutes a month, right? Like, if that. Sometimes I go, like, three months without seeing my psychiatrist. Then we check in again for 15 minutes and I just get three months worth of meds. Like, psychiatrists in this day and age are very different than therapists. Now, back in the day, like, when therapy was kind of first becoming a thing, psychiatrists did practice more. And, like, there are certain types of therapy that some psychiatrists will do, like analysis, like, you know, Freud was a psychiatrist, like that type of thing. But for the most part in the American healthcare system, like psychiatrists are not therapists and they should not be your therapist. And I, this guy that Amber sees, I, okay. On one hand, I understand that everybody wants to see somebody hold Amber accountable. I do too. Like I want that. And when I see her talk to this psychiatrist that she calls her therapist, I am like, what are you fucking kidding me? Like he's just enabling her bullshit. This is all fucking bullshit. She's not making any progress. She should fire him and get somebody new because she's not making any progress. But the reality is one, her doctor can only work with what he is given from her. So if she tells him, like, I do everything I can for my children. Leah's just mad because I was gone. I went to prison when she was six and she won't forgive me for it. But, like, I try so hard. I text her every day. Like, if she's telling the doctor this, like, the doctor has to go with that information. Um, I know that, like, we want this idea that, like, therapists are these, like, heroes that hold the patient accountable and, like, force them into change. And that's just, like, not really the case. It's just not really how it works. Um, you have to kind of take your client at their word. And it, there are definitely therapists that are a little more, like, aggressive or, like, pushy than other ones. But for the most part, like, it's not a therapist's job to hold a client accountable. It's a therapist's job to guide the client through their own thoughts and feelings and behaviors and decisions so the other thing with amber is that like obviously this is who she gets her medicine from the psychiatrist and as far as i'm kind of concerned is this psychiatrist is essentially harm reduction for amber in that like amber pushes away anybody who pushes against her right like anybody that bucks to amber she's done with you like you you do not have a place in her life anymore so how would it help Amber for her psychiatrist to start challenging her. And so Amber stops going to the psychiatrist and then stops taking medicine. That, like, that doesn't make Amber's life any better. And so I kind of think that the psychiatrist role in her life is just to, I don't want to say placate her because I don't think that's true, but to kind of just, like, create a space in which Amber feels comfortable going to him to get medicine. And is that the most helpful thing for Amber's mental health? No, of course not. Of course it's not. Has this guy recommended that she go to therapy? I hope so. Like, I hope he's recommending that she goes to regular therapy, but all we see is what we see on TV. You know what I mean? Like, we have no idea what he's telling her. It's so, she's clearly like not getting what she needs. (laughs) Like, she's so, so, so clearly not getting getting what she needs, but I would argue that seeing the psychiatrist is better than nothing, um, because at least she's taking some medicine, and all things considered, like, her life is okay-ish. She hasn't been arrested in a couple years. She does see James regularly, as far as we know. I Like, I'm not saying her life is good, but I think her life could be a lot worse, also she could. She's not actively trying to kill herself, as far as we know. Um, I was gonna say she's not hurting herself. I'm not sure we know that to be true. I don't really know if Amber self har- self harms or do any, does anything like that. But as far as we know, Amber is not actively suicidal. So, and as somebody that has pr- like previous suicide attempts, that's good. So, if seeing this guy that doesn't really challenge anything about her life, if all he does is keep her from killing herself which I'm sorry I know we're not saying like committing suicide or killing but if he keeps her from dying by suicide that's what the right phrase is right dying by suicide like if he keeps her from dying by suicide then like that's good like that that's pretty good that's harm reduction like this idea that we can help somebody make their life better even if it doesn't make their life good right like that that idea that like all of recovery has to be for the same goal and like like I said like I want Amber to go get more help like I want Amber to live a happy life like I have talked like how fucking sad Amber's life makes me and how sad I think she must be all of the time. Like I desperately want more for her but I also really don't want her to die by suicide. So like if this guy is stopping that then okay. And if that's all Amber is willing to give towards her mental health, right? Like seeing this guy, then that's like, at least she's seeing him. I I don't know. I hope that makes sense. I'm, I hope people understand, like, I'm not defending him in a way, like saying like, he's actually a great therapist and this is really good. And Amber's in a good place because I clearly don't believe that. I just, I also want Amber to stay alive. And if this guy is helping her stay alive, then, then that is what it is. So she's talking about the fact that she wants Leah to go to therapy with her. And she says, you know, but I don't really get a say in it. Um, it, Gary and Christina don't want her to go. And she says this line that's so fucking weird. She's such a narcissist. It's so hard to watch. She says, therapy is a good thing to get you and your mother back together. What? Now, here's what a non-narcissistic person would say. I'm not saying Amber has narcissistic personality disorder. I want to make that clear. I, I have no fucking idea. I, I would guess probably not. I just think Amber has a lot of narcissistic tendencies and she's incredibly self-centered. So what a healthy or a tempting to be healthy person would say is, you know, Leah's so hurt by my actions. And I think that if Leah went to therapy and was able to work on her hurt, then we could have a better chance of working on our relationship. And if she is able to work on forgiving me, then I can have a better chance of proving the fact that I want to be her mother and that she can trust me. But instead what Amber says is therapy is a good place for a mother and daughter to get along or whatever she, a mother and daughter to get back together. Like what? That's not, that shouldn't be the goal of Leah's therapy. Right. Like Leah shouldn't be going to therapy with a goal of her and Amber, like becoming tight girlfriends like Leah should. If, if Leah wants to go to therapy, if Leah needs to go to therapy, which I would argue maybe she does. I mean, is she still having those panic attacks? Remember, remember a couple of seasons ago when Leah was having multiple panic attacks? Like, I don't really know what's going on with Leah. Um, I don't know if she needs to be in therapy or not. But if she does, like, if she wants to go to therapy, if her life would be better than, bettered by therapy, then I hope that she goes. But, like, the goal should have nothing to do with Amber and hers relationship. The goal should be for Leah to heal from the hurt that she feels. And then maybe when she heals from that, she'll be more ready and willing to let Amber back into her life. And then maybe they can go to therapy together. Because, like, just Amber and Leah going to therapy is not the answer. It's, like, couples. Honest, honestly, what she's kind of looking for is, like, couples therapy. Obviously, it's, a fa- it's family therapy. But family therapy is not going to fix, like, the years of hurt from Leah if Leah's not even ready to talk about it. It's why, like, a lot of times in couples therapy, each individual of the couple needs to be going to therapy on their own as well. Because they have shit that they need to work on before they can like really fix the things in their relationship and I think that's what's going on with Leah and Amber and just like Amber the fact that Amber wants Leah to go to therapy so that her and Leah can have a better relationship I think kind of says it all right like what a person that really was thinking first of their child would want their child to go to therapy so their child can feel better that's that's it right so that their child doesn't have so much anger so that their child isn't so hurt. But that's not how Amber sees the world. And that's why Amber and Leah are never really going to have a healthy relationship probably. I mean, I don't want to say never. Amber's still young. Amber's what? I think Amber's younger than me. We could have 60 years left on this earth if planet earth still exists in 60 years. Like we have a long time left to live. So I don't want to say never But I think it's going to be very difficult for Amber unless she decides to do some serious work on herself. I I, like it. It's just not going to happen because she is who she is. And Leah doesn't like her. It's like what it comes down to. Right. Like it's not that. I mean, I'm sure Leah is hurt that her mom left for a year and a half because most people would be. But like that's not the problem. The problem is everybody else that Amber's put in her life before Leah. Amber, of course, doesn't recognize this because Amber's never done anything wrong. And the only reason that she'll acknowledge the prison thing is because she can follow it up with. But I did that to save my life. And I did that for her. She can't talk about Matt. She can't talk about Andrew. She can't talk about what's that Danish guy's name? Was he Danish? I don't even remember where he was from now. Dimitri. Was that his name? I wonder if you are still together. I don't know. Maybe. But like she, she won't talk about them because then she would have to admit a fault of hers. But when she talks about prison, she can be like, well, I was addicted to drugs. That's not my fault. I had a lot of trauma. That's not my fault. I made the courageous decision to put myself in prison in order to get sober so I could be here and be a mother. That's the only reason that she'll talk about that because she can put herself in a hero's role. And, like, she actually did this for Leah. (laughs) It's the biggest crock of shit. So Gary and Christina have a little scene. Gary buys Christina some new scrubs, which is cute. She's in nursing school. And they talk about Leah and Leah going to therapy. And, you know, Gary, like, I want Leah to go to therapy because I think that she could really benefit from it. But it's not because of, not for Amber. I want Leah to go for her own sake. But Gary, like, he's like, look, Leah doesn't want to go to therapy, so I'm not going to make her go there. I asked her if she wanted to. She said she doesn't. And he's like, I'm not going to make Leah do something because it will help Amber. And that's exactly it. And this is the difference. Like, I don't think Gary is any sort of hero. Like, I'm not really a Team Gary person. I think Gary has a lot of fucking issues. But the way that Gary and Christina talk about Leah versus the way that Amber talks about Leah is the difference between... A person with really severe mental health issues that are being untreated, like blocking their perception of reality and two people that are like pretty much like with it. Right. Like that are not perfect by any means, but have like a decent perspective on their children and the world around them. They don't talk about like well we want Leah to go because it will be easier for us if Leah and Amber get along because it would be easier for Gary and Christina if Leah and Amber get along. I think their life is easier when that happens. Um, It's harder when Amber is going on Instagram Live and calling Leah home or calling Christina home wrecking slut. You know, like (laughs) that's an issue, but they don't talk about it like that. They talk about how it affects Leah, what Leah wants, what the impacts on Leah are. Like a. A parent does. Gary's like, how can I tell her that she needs to go and do what she needs to do when Amber won't do it? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. Christina says Leah has to be receptive to wanting a relationship with Amber. And that is exactly like you cannot force Leah to forgive Amber. You can't. You cannot force it. So we get a scene of Amber FaceTiming with her psychiatrist and she's like, I'm so stressed. She's like, Leah thinks I abandoned her. I've been wanting Gary to put her in therapy, but he won't. And this is when the psychiatrist he's being very empathetic towards Amber. He's like, "Well, you know, I know you've made a lot of tough decisions for your kids, and Amber is just sobbing that like, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the decisions, and Leah won't forgive me for it. She doesn't understand that I just want to be alive for her. If I wouldn't have went away, I wouldn't be alive. And that's what I mean. like, She's framing this as like, this is all for Leah. All of this is for Leah. And once again, as I mentioned last week, she's acting like the only issue in her and Leah's relationship is that she went to prison for a year and a half when Leah was four. That is not the main issue in their relationship. Matt is the main issue in their relationship. Andrew's the main issue in their relationship. Dimitri's the main issue in Amber's relationship and Leah's relationship. The depression that makes it so Amber doesn't show up for months at a time is the issue and Amber just doesn't she doesn't see it she's sobbing that she hates her mental illness which I definitely get I mean I had a cry like that last week like I fucking get that but nothing's gonna change for her unless she decides to make some changes and then speaking of Let's pop over to Caitlin and Tyler, who had a kind of similar storyline in that they were talking about their mental health. Now, remember, Tyler has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and he doesn't want to be on medicine for reasons that I don't quite understand, that have not been articulated well, in my opinion. Um, They start the episode talking about how Caitlin is a little triggered by Tyler, like not doing very well mentally because... When she was pregnant with Veda, that's when Tyler was like, I want a divorce and they had their separation and she's worried that's going to happen again, which I guess is fair. Um, They talk about the fact that Tyler's really insecure as a dad because of his childhood. It's really sad. Tyler says like his perception is that like he has to be together and perfect all of the time or everything will fall apart. And Caitlin is like, I mean, that's not true. Like, you don't, that is not accurate. And he's like, yeah, I kind of know that. But like, that's what my brain is telling me, which is, I think, a perfect summary of what mental illness is, right? Where you like, kind of know something not to be true, but like, it doesn't really matter because it's not your truth. Uh, Tyler says he feels like nobody cares about him, which is really sad because Tyler has a lot of people who care about him. Like I, and he's like a good dad. it's really sad. You know, Caitlin says, which made me like do a little frowny face. She was like, I'm just so mad at Butch because Butch is the reason that you feel like you're not a good dad. And she's like, I don't understand how you can look at your dad and what he did and then look at your life and not see how much better you're doing. But it's because of his mental illness. And they're just like, they're, They're openly talking about the fact that Tyler's not doing great. Apparently, he's super quick to anger. He is his moods are swinging really like intensely. Basically, lots of symptoms of bipolar disorder. Right. Uh, They talk about the alternative treatments he's done in the past. And now Tyler wants to try ketamine treatments. Okay, let's talk about this. Ketamine infusions are a pretty incredible solution for a lot of people. If you don't know, ketamine is a horse tranquilizer that has uh, like psych- psych- psycho- uh, psychedelic effects. Is that the word for it? You, It's like a club drug. It's called Special K. If you take it, you're going into a K-hole. I actually have never done ketamine, but when you go into a K-hole, you're like tripping essentially. It's a club drug because it's... I don't really know why it's a club drug specifically, but I guess it's like ecstasy in some ways I think the way it makes your body feel and that you want to dance but like I said I've never actually done ketamine but it's a really popular street drug which by oh my gosh you know it's so funny (laughs) on tiktok a bunch of teens were talking about doing horse like they were talking about drugs and using the horse emoji and I was like Jesus these kids are doing heroin (laughs) because horse is like a a nickname for heroin and then I realized they were talking about special k because it's a horse tranquilizer I was like okay that actually makes a lot more sense (laughs) but k-holes are like an infamous thing to do at raves and shit and ketamine now is being used as a way to treat what they're calling treatment-resistant depression. It's for people with really severe depression who are not respondent to medicine, which is pretty common, right? There are a lot of people with really severe depression that do not respond to SSRIs or other types of antidepressants. It's really fucking difficult and it makes life really hard. Um, Some people end up getting. ECT, like electric convulsion therapy, I think is what it stands for. Shock therapy, essentially. It's different than it was in the 70s, but it's still a really serious procedure. And so they've done some research. They've actually, like, there's a bunch of different, like, alternative treatment depressions that use uh, psychedelics. they for a long time, they've done research with ecstasy and people with PTSD Um, There is microdosing, which I don't know how much actual research is behind microdosing, but a lot of people do it and are very happy with it. If you don't know, microdosing is when you take a very small amount of either acid or mushrooms, like a very small amount, and it has essentially like an antidepressant like effect on you. You're not tripping and you take it every day. Um, That has been really successful for some people. And then there's ketamine infusions, which you do at a clinic with a doctor it takes a couple hours you get it I think it's injected like I think it's an IV and it essentially like helps to rewire your brain it's something that you have to do repeatedly it's very expensive because most insurance are not covering it it's still a pretty new procedure but it has a lot of really positive research around how it helps depression now all of that said, Does Tyler have depression? Yeah, because he's bipolar, which means he has some, like depression is part of his uh, mental health issues. But he, the other things he's describing, this mood swings, the rage, like that's bipolar. That's not just depression. So doing ketamine only to treat bipolar from everything I looked online, I was kind of researching this. I really could only find like one or two academic articles that talked about ketamine for people with bipolar disorder. And they all mentioned for treating the depressive symptoms of bipolar disorder. So that's great, right? Like if that, if if Tyler could do ketamine infusions and fix that depressive part fixes a weird word help with that help alleviate the symptoms of the severe depression aspect like that's great I'm all for that but like my question is okay so what are you doing for the anger in the mood swings in the mania in the racing thoughts in the impulsivity like that's not going to be fixed by ketamine here are my other questions where is he going that a doctor is giving him this option having never tried antipsychotics or whatever drug that you would take is that what it is for bipolar antipsychotics but you have not taken like mental health medicine at least not in a significant period of time it does not seem like he has taken it since he has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder It seems like he thinks that medicine will not work for him for reasons that I don't quite understand. Now, is it possible Tyler's been on 15 medicines and just hasn't told us? Sure, of course. But based on what we know, what he's told us, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me that he would be eligible for a treatment-resistant solution. Somebody on Reddit did say that technically to be treatment-resistant, you only have to have tried one medicine, which to me... I can understand technically that's what it means, but I personally don't think I would trust a doctor that gave you one medicine and it didn't work and was like, okay, let's try ketamine now because it's a pretty serious like operation. It's not an operation, but the infusions take hours. You're like, it's not taking a medicine in the morning, you know. And like, I understand Tyler doesn't want side effects. He's scared of the medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I'm not putting that down. But he's clearly like willing to try things. So I don't know why he's not willing to try medicine that has like a lot of research behind it, specifically helping with bipolar disorder. Um, he and a friend like go hang out and he mentions he's like, you know, I, well, first of all, they talk about all the hot girls in Texas. And Tyler was like, I should just move to Texas for the hot girls. I was like, what the fuck? Um, Tyler talks about the fact that he can't do antidepressants because he's scared of them and he envies how they work for other people. And that if he could just take antidepressants, it would fix everything. It's like a light switch fix for people. I'm like, Tyler, what, what are you talking about? And this is like, he doesn't say, this is why I'm like questioning, has he really taken antidepressants? Cause he's like, I can't do them. It's not like I... If he said in this conversation, like, I have tried five different medications in the last five years. I have tried so many different medications. None of them help. They all make me feel worse. I have such bad side effects. I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, that may not cool. But like, yeah, it makes sense that you're now talking with a doctor about taking ketamine infusions like that makes sense. But that's not what's happening so I don't understand like what clinic he's going to that is like yeah this is the solution for your bipolar disorder. May I I, I don't get like based on the information that we have from this show I don't get it. Um do I hope that it helps Tyler? Of course. Do I think that it could help Tyler? Yeah, I think it really could. I think that he really could be helped, especially if he's having like really struggling with depressive episodes at the time that he's doing this. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I just wish that he, I don't really get being open to doing ketamine infusions, but not trying medicines. It's, but I'm also like, I don't, You know, like I've said, I'm the opposite of anti-vaxxer. Like, I just want more vaccines. I feel that way about medicine, too. I'm like, yeah, give me whatever. (laughs) Like, oh, you want me to try that? I'll take that. It's like my drug addict nature, I think, where I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try every medicine. I know not all drug addicts are like that, but I'm like that. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. And it's hard for me to hear Tyler's justification of why ketamine is the answer and why he knows for a fact That pills will not help him. Uh, I don't know. It it makes me nervous. Um, And it makes Kate nervous too. Kate says that she's scared of it. She's like, Isn't that a psychedelic? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, Yes, you do know. Come on. Come on. Of course, you know what it is. Kate says that she's a little scared of it. And Tyler's like, Oh, well, what are you afraid of? And she says she's scared Tyler will leave her again which I'm like, okay, (laughs) I don't know. I'm curious to see if he actually does it, where this storyline goes. I would like to hear more. I remember last year, like last time he was talking about these alternative treatments, I thought he said he didn't try medicine before. I may be misremembering that though. I hope he's going somewhere reputable. I just question a place that would be letting somebody do kind of a last resort treatment when it's not their last resort i don't know if that's fair to say that ketamine is a last resort treatment but one that is specifically being researched to help people who have not been helped by other means of medicine I like if that is what he does like i i hope it helps i hope it helps but i also hope that he's working with a doctor that's like hey you know this isn't gonna fix like a lot of the shit that you're having pr- trouble with right and like that this is not going to help with like your highs and your lows. Like this is not going to help your mood swings. I don't know. We'll see. I'm curious to see like where the storyline goes and what they show of it. And if we will hear a doctor talk about it. I do think in some ways it's good because not that many people know about ketamine infusions and it's really fucking helpful for people. And I think that this can be a good way to give a platform to a newish Form of treatment that's helping people, and if people watch this and they're like, and they Google ketamine treatments and they realize like, huh, maybe that would help me. I think that's great, but I also think that it's a little, a little irresponsible of MTV, I guess, to have Tyler be like, medicine doesn't work for me at all, but I'm gonna try ketamine. I don't know. I I, I would like them to have somebody push back against that. <laughs> right like I want somebody to be like well what do you mean medicine doesn't work could you ex- could you explain a little bit what you mean we'll see we'll see where it goes all right guys that's the show for this week if you want to hear more from me go to patreon.com slash liz explains come listen to me talk about ladies of london and if not I will talk to you again soon have a good week bye This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.